Coming up this evening on NTD Business. The White House is warning the world is facing a food shortage. Where could be hit the worst? We look at the challenges facing the European Union as it phases out Russian oil and gas. It won't be cheap. And what China Evergrande is calling a major incident. What it means for the property developers, anxious investors. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. The White House says we could see a global food shortage. The Ukraine-Russia war now entering its fourth week, only adding to the world's broken supply chains. The press secretary says America is not likely to feel the impact, but poorer countries around the world, including those in Africa, the Middle East and Southeast Asia, are facing trouble. Here's Saki today. Well, we're not expecting a food shortage here at home. Uh, we do anticipate that um, higher energy fertilizer, wheat and corn prices could impact the price of growing and purchasing critical food, supply, food supplies for countries around the world. Russia and Ukraine are key grain producers, accounting for 30 percent of the world's wheat exports and nearly 20 percent of its corn exports. Saki also called Ukraine a big exporter of fertilizer. Developing nations in northern Africa and Asia are the most reliant on Russia and Ukraine for their wheat supply. Saki says the U.S. is working with G7 countries and other organizations to help mitigate the impacts on poorer nations. So while the U.S. should avoid the worst of the food shortage, a paper shortage is looming for the American economy. It's according to a new report from thomasnet.com. As online shopping got more popular during the pandemic, many paper mills switched to making cardboard instead of paper. That's led to a 20% decline in paper production since 2019. We could be facing shortages of toilet paper, sorry to tell you, again, and other consumer paper products. Could also affect book printers and publishers, and pretty much virtually any manufacturers that need paper to label the products. And joining us to help shine a light on the world's fractured supply chains is an American manufacturer and importer. Andrew Churnland is the owner of Churnland Products. He's also a big Amazon seller with over a quarter billion dollars in sales. Andrew, it's always great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Hey, nice to see you, Paul. Andrew, when we hear broken supply chains at this point of the pandemic, what exactly does it mean from where you're sitting? Well, it comes in lots of different places. But essentially, we have to remember that for many, many products, one single piece uh, makes a product, if, if that's missing, it makes one a product unable to be produced. And so uh, what we're seeing is that happening over and over and over again. There's not just one single input like aluminum or injection molded plastic, things like that. We're seeing it all over the board. So that's why we're seeing shortages uh, across many different industries and very, very serious long-term shortages. Are you seeing any improvements? I am not. And what I would warn people to remember is that as a consumer, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the inflation and, and, and supply chain issues, you don't see that till much later on. And so while people stick with menu pricing and don't want to increase their prices every three months, the, a lot of times their inputs are changing every time they place a new purchase order. And so that's why you see these shocks to the system where all of a sudden prices increase 20, 30%. And that's because a lot of issues 
have been held back and the manufacturers have done the best they can to try to overcome the issue themselves. And eventually that dam breaks and the deluge of high prices comes through. Are you seeing the problems, is it at the beginning of the process in mining and farming? Is it in the production side or is it in the transport side? Where is the holdup? Well, I've seen it in both. Uh, really, there is a little bit of a uh, slowdown that would be expected from some of the uh, primary manufacturing slowing down due to concerns around the pandemic. But uh, the reality is, is that we've seen it all the way across the supply chain. So not just at the very, very basic uh, parts, but remember um, for most things where you see a lot of uh, uh, issues, like a vehicle, that's a very complicated device. And so it really only takes a little bit to uh, make that an issue. And what you'll also see is that manufacturers also take time to re-engineer things. So if there is a shortage of a primary material, gold, copper, aluminum, or it's very, very costly, let's say they can get it, but it's very, very costly, it does take time to re-engineer these things in a way that allows the price to be somewhat stable. And so this is not just a uh, material shortage, it's also a human time shortage. When you have to find new solutions as a purchasing manager or an engineer to come up with solutions for your customers, that takes time and it delays when people can get things and how expensive they are. I think we're seeing it now. Some of the car manufacturers are shipping their, their cars without certain features installed. Andrew, the Fed is raising rates now in an effort to tame inflation. Can it actually help with the problems you're describing? Well, I think, unfortunately, the only way that this gets solved in a very quick fashion is because of a, an economic collapse. So if interest, if interest rates increase dramatically and therefore home prices, uh, uh, the, the demand for homes goes down because interest rates are much higher, I think that's the one thing that can really put the brakes on uh, this situation. The thing is, with the way inflation is happening and with the long lead times that are happening because of the supply chain, it actually is making the problem worse. It's creating a snowball effect. Because if you don't know that you will be able to get product in the future, you buy even more today. And as it gets worse and worse, you're, in, you're incentivized to buy even more and more. It drives prices even faster. It puts lead times out even further. And the, the unfortunately, the most likely way for that to slow down is for demand to dry up dramatically. And increased interest rates and, and, and a decrease in home building is the thing that I see most likely to happen that would cause that to happen in a relatively quick manner. Otherwise, we're looking at supply chain and inflation issues, I'm afraid, for at least another 18 to 24 months. That's a pretty significant uh, timeline, Andrew Chernland. I appreciate the insights. Andrew Chernland, Chernland Products, thank you. Thank you very much. In fact, commodity prices are rising and changing so fast, traders can't keep up. They've slashed the number of trades they're making because they simply don't have the cash flow to ensure smooth buying and selling. They say that could impact fuel deliveries in the real world. Three of the world's biggest energy traders said today the gas market in particular has become dysfunctional. Diesel fuel is a top concern for Europe. The bloc imports half of its needs from Russia, so could face shortages, the trading company said. The European Union is divided on whether to sanction Russia's energy sector over its invasion. So far, the EU has imposed four rounds of sanctions on Russia, but the most painful for Moscow would be a ban on its energy, 
The EU does plan to phase out Russian oil and gas imports over five years, but some EU countries, like Lithuania, are pushing hard for an immediate embargo on Russian oil and gas. Others, like Germany and the Netherlands, though, say not so fast, Lithuania. Germany says a sudden cut is unrealistic given Europe's reliance on Russian energy. Russia provides over 40 percent of the EU's gas and coal imports and about a quarter of its oil. Russian energy embargo would likely cause prices to rise even more amid super high inflation. So joining us from Europe is Daniel Akaye, chief economist with Tress's Hedge Fund, where he manages over $6 billion of assets. Akaye also wrote The Energy World is Flat, so the perfect guy to speak to about the energy problems in Europe and globally, frankly. Daniel, great to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Daniel, we see Germany yesterday now reports of Italy setting up for taking in liquefied natural gas from places like Qatar as they reduce their reliance on Russia. What exactly does that mean for industries like fertilizers and food that rely on cheap gas? Mm -hmm. One of the big problems of the European energy policy is that uh, because it's so dependent on renewables that are intermittent and volatile and uh, depend on climate, is that when uh, demand rises, the use of natural gas has to increase rapidly. And in uh, the current environment, uh, that situation happens exactly when demand uh, is soaring and hence prices are going up. So one of the big problems for Europe is that competitiveness of many of these industries is suffering immensely. And we are seeing rise in food prices, rise in obviously uh, electricity and uh, natural gas prices for households, but an entire domino effect on industries and businesses. It's very, very complicated. So when you say competitiveness, Daniel, do you feel Europe may lose some industry? But everywhere is feeling inflation, energy inflation, right? Or is Europe feeling it particularly bad? Europe is feeling it particularly bad because, first, uh, energy prices in euros are higher than in dollars because the euro has weakened relative to the dollar. Second, because natural gas prices in Europe have risen significantly more than in the United States. Second, because of taxes. Uh, for example, everybody in the United States is concerned about uh, the, the price of gas at uh, these levels. However, in the European Union, it's about three times more expensive in some cases. No, so. Uh, the, the, the big problem for the European Union is that many industries are being delocalized and that many industries simply cannot start. Uh, we are seeing in some countries in Italy, you mentioned in Germany as well, in France and in Spain, that some industries have had to shut down operations because of the extremely high cost of electricity and natural gas, which is, and I come back to that point, significantly higher than in the United States. Daniel Akai, Tresses Hedge Fund. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And the Biden administration wants American companies to strengthen their cybersecurity because of potential Russian cyber attacks. Meanwhile, if you're an American company still operating in Russia, you may want to strengthen your cybersecurity because of potential cyber attacks by the hacking group Anonymous. Anthony's Olin Richards explains.
If you're a U.S. company, the Biden administration is warning that Russia may launch a cyber attack on you. And if you decide to stay in Russia, Anonymous may launch a cyber attack on you. Anonymous tweeted, Pull out of Russia. We give you 48 hours to reflect and withdraw from Russia, or else you will be under our target. Anonymous is a... It's a hacktivist group. They typically uh, go after countries, companies that they view uh, violate human rights. Brian Horning is the CEO of Exact IT Solutions, a cybersecurity firm. Horning says Anonymous can make it hard to do business. Companies in its crosshairs include Subway, Hyatt Hotels, and Citibank. Meanwhile, the Biden administration Monday warned American companies to boost their cybersecurity. If Russia initiates a cyber attack against the United States, we will respond. A press release says the federal government can't defend against this threat alone. Most of America's critical infrastructure is owned and operated by the private sector. The administration urges companies to take certain steps, which include multi-factor verification and offline backups. Instead of just your traditional login where we put a username and a password in, you have yet another step that proves you are who you are. And it could be through a, a key fob, a one-time passcode that could be emailed to you. You could receive it on a phone call. It could be text to you. Scott Schober is the author of Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business. Schober says cybercrime is rampant these days, and it's important to back up your files. And the good way to back up that data is copy everything, remove it, disconnect it from your computer, disconnect it from the Internet. You can even use there's a lot of popular services that will now help automatically back up your computer. Meanwhile, Russia itself is being hit by a barrage of cyber attacks. The country has urged its companies to turn off automatic software updates and use Russian servers. Arlene Richards, NTD News. U.S. stocks ended higher today, led by a sharp game in the Nasdaq. Financial shares also advanced. The Fed raised interest rates last week. Well, that's bad news for you, the consumer, if you're looking to borrow. It helps boost the outlook for banks. The Dow rose 254 points, 7 tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 gained 50 points, 1 and 1 tenth of a percent. The Nasdaq, the big winner today, gained 270 points, nearly 2 percent today. A Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba is taking action to prop up its tumbling share price. It's going to buy back $25 billion worth of its shares. It's a record for the company. It upped that number today. The company is fighting off Beijing's regulatory scrutiny. There are also concerns about slowing growth amid China's worsening virus outbreaks. The company's share price has plunged more than 50% over the past year. It has been under pressure since late 2020. That was when billionaire founder Jack Ma publicly criticized Chinese regulators. Watchdogs later slapped it with a record $2.8 billion fine for anti-competitive behavior and halted a blockbuster IPO for its financial arm. Alibaba has been listed on the New York Stock Exchange since 2014, and some American investors have skin in the game. And China's Evergrande is making the headlines again. A Chinese bank has just seized $2 billion from one of its subsidiaries, Apparently, subsidiary put its cash up as collateral for somebody else's loans. But this hidden liability was never disclosed to investors. Raises questions about just how big Evergrande's debt really is. Anthony Don Ma has the story. My first reaction to the overnight news on Evergrande is that I, I'm actually absolutely shocked. 
More questions today about just how much debt China Evergrande has and if investors are likely to get paid back. Evergrande says a Chinese bank has just seized $2 billion from Evergrande's Hong Kong subsidiary. Apparently, the subsidiary had put the cash up as collateral or insurance for somebody else's loan. When that somebody else couldn't pay back the loan, the bank stepped in to take the money. Brian McCarthy is the chief strategist at MacroLens. It's, it's uh, you know, either, either company-wide accounting fraud or at the very least, uh, a very serious lack of oversight. This loan guarantee wasn't recorded anywhere in Evergrande's books or the Evergrande subsidiary's books. It should have been. Evergrande is calling it a, quote, major incident. What's raising even more eyebrows is that this subsidiary isn't even in the business of guaranteeing loans or issuing loans. It's a property maintenance company. So it might have been an under-the-table deal where some manager at the sub provided said, I'll, I'll guarantee that debt for you for a payback, and now the debt's gone belly up and the money's gone. The $2 billion seized by the bank is pretty much all the subsidiary's cash. Evergrande's foreign investors are set to lose out as the property management division of the business was thought to be pretty valuable relative to the rest of the company. Evergrande is in the process of restructuring its global debt right now, and investors are waiting to see how much they'll get back. My guess is there'll be not much left for bondholders when that process is done. This story is still developing, so we'll keep you updated. Don Ma, NTD News. In these uncertain economic times, some are overlooking Bitcoin in favor of a specific type of crypto called privacy coins. It's because just like the name promises, they're supposed to give users more privacy. Anthony's Phil Zoe has the story. If you want to keep your business private while using crypto coins, Bitcoin used to be good enough. The blockchain was always designed to be completely transparent, uh, that everyone can see every transaction that happens on the network. But now some people are turning to privacy coins. I spoke to Stephen Kraft, who's head of over-the-counter trading at the crypto exchange CoinSmart. If there's increased taxation or, you know, implementation of travel rules, this will likely increase the value of privacy coins to a certain subset of the market. Crypto journalist David Girard says privacy coins were created out of good intentions, but now are mainly used for illegal activities. Monero is the favorite of people buying drugs online. Overwhelmingly, the main use of these things in practice is buying things that a government doesn't want you to. Popular privacy coins like Monero and Zcash have gained 7% and 46% this month, according to CoinMarketCap. But even so, Gerard says there's another problem. The volumes on this stuff are quite low. The markets are not very liquid. So you can see a jump up, and it could be the war. It could be anything. Um, it's hard to say what it actually is because these markets are quite tiny. That's while Bitcoin is down about 5% for the month. Crypto investor Bob Bilbrook says he's keeping an eye on privacy coins, especially with the conflict over in Russia and Ukraine. I think people want to be in control of their own money, and I think they want to have their transactions they're doing with their money to be private, and privacy coins allow them to do that. Phil Zoe, NTD News. A British watchdog is cracking down on what it calls misleading crypto ads. Previously banned crypto ads, not like a Coinbase and Papa John's Pizza. Now the Advertising Standards Authority is sending a notice to over 50 crypto firms demanding that their ads do not entice people to buy Bitcoin or any crypto for that matter. 
They also shouldn't create the fear of missing out on investments. The watchdog gave the companies until early May to rectify their ads. Otherwise, they face targeted sanctions. That would take a quick break. Still to come, stay with us. Tesla delivers the first vehicles from its new German factory. CEO Elon Musk hanging them over in person. And pain at the pump. Is it pushing people to alternative modes of transportation like e-bikes? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Tesla CEO Elon Musk broke out some dance moves today as his brand new German factory delivered its first cars to customers. Musk called it another step in the direction of a sustainable future. I'm incredibly excited to uh, hand over the first production cars from our incredible team here at uh, Giga Berlin Brandenburg. Uh, this is a great day for the factory and uh, you know, it's, uh, I'd just like to thank everyone who helped. Loud music played as 30 customers and their families got their cars. They drove through a fancy neon light tunnel as audience cheered and Musk danced and joked with fans. The event also marked the opening of Tesla's long-delayed German Gigafactory. At $5.5 billion, a huge investment in Germany's auto industry, and the German Chancellor was also there. He called the plant a sign of progress. A Maserati has unveiled its new sport utility vehicle. The Great Cala is the second SUV in the Italian luxury brand's history and the first that will be an all-electric all version. The new VEEV is an early step toward making the Maserati brand fully electric by 2030. In the meantime, all Maserati models will be available in EV versions by 2025. The gas-powered Gricala, available later this year, will be available with a high-performance V6 engine or a four-cylinder with a mild hybrid system. The full electric version will debut in 20 th 2023. The car is smaller than the Levanta SUV. The Levanta accounted for 59% of Maserati's worldwide sales last year. With gas prices increasing, e-bicycles could be a viable alternative to driving for many. You like to hear that. And the Deshaun Marshall takes a look into whether the rising cost at the pump is having a positive effect on the e-bike industry. Electric bikes are gaining popularity gas prices rising, some may be turning to e-bikes as an alternative to driving for short trips. City Bike, a public bike sharing system that serves much of New York City, had an increased revenue of almost $200,000 for the month of February, compared to February of 2021. I went to local e-bike shops to find out if they've noticed any relation between high gas prices and an increase in e-bike sales. 
Jim, a manager at Rollgood Electric Bicycle and Scooter Store, hasn't noticed a difference in usual sales, but does expect an increase to come. The normal big spike happens once the weather gets warmer, so it, ha it hasn't hit us yet, but I'm expecting a, um, a huge leap in business uh, because of the increase in gas prices. He also had this to say about the future of electric transport. Everyone knows that gasoline is a limited resource that eventually um, humans have to make a shift towards electric. Ben at Chartier Electric Scooter and Bike Shop said it was too early to match up rising gas prices with the rising popularity of e-scooters and bicycles. During COVID, people didn't want to use the, the, the subway, didn't want to use the, the cars, the taxi, all these things. So we started getting tons of sales and we were actually five times sold out, sold out during the According to a study by Persistence Market Research, at a compound annual growth rate of 8.4%, electrical bicycles are estimated to be the fastest growing bicycle type from 2022 to 2032. Well, I think to use an electric scooter, it literally makes your life easier. Especially you don't need to pay gas anymore, especially now that it's extremely expensive. You don't need to pay insurance, you don't need to pay parking, um, you don't have to wait in traffic. The United States imported 800,000 e-bikes in 2021, according to the Light Electric Vehicle Association. This is a big jump from 450,000 e-bikes imported in 2020. With numbers like that, who knows what the future will hold for the e-bike industry? Sean Marshall, NTD News. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Cancel catch NTD evening news with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too, if you're on there. For NTD business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.